0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me, if you would, once again in Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs 20, down at the end of the chapter, we're in verses uh, 27 through 30. And uh, so we'll see how long it takes us to plow through these final verses and then get ready for chapter 21. Before we do begin this morning though, let's take a moment for silent prayer and call upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time of study, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your truth, thankful for your faithfulness, And calling upon your faithfulness yet again to open our eyes, to bless our time of study. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, and so uh, picking up where we were a week ago, we actually were looking at the spirit of the man. In verse 27 is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. And the blessings we have to be depositories of light, when God, of course, is the source of light and yet he can deposit his light within each one of us and we have blessings here. And uh, the unbeliever, as we've studied in uh, biblical anthropology, does not have a living human spirit. He simply has a body and a soul and a dead human spirit within him. And so given his dead human spirit he is not able to function as the uh, the, the lamp that, uh, that we're designed to be with our spiritual life. Let me... Uh, See, I failed to. I usually drop myself a little note so that I can track where all these slides are. When you have so many slides. There we go. And so we talk about Adamic breath. The lamp of the Lord is the Nishmath Adam, the breath of Adam, and uh, the spiritual life of humanity, and the links between the breath and the spirit. That we have here the vocabulary connections between the the nishmath and the uh, ruch as we have it, especially in uh, uh, Job thirty two eight, where they get linked together. The creation of man in Genesis two seven, where God breathed into Adam the breath of lives, his soul life and his spirit life, and uh, which animated the the physical life of his body, and uh, man became a living soul, a living soul, and then. The consequences of spiritual death that happen on the day you eat of it, you will surely die, his soul didn 't die, his body didn 't die, but his spirit was dead from that moment, and uh, we understand these things as well and so it 's kind of neat hitting this verse and hitting these ideas before our Genesis study begins, because many of these are things that we 're going to pick up here in the book of genesis it 's spiritual life that 's necessary for learning the Word of God as we understand, but the role of the spirit as being the depository of light and the, the link between light and life that's so uh, that's so marvelous. And I would just encourage you, if uh, if it flew over your head or just went by so fast last week that you failed to see it there, but the promise here in John 1 and the statement related to our Savior, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, all right? And this is a statement in John 1, 1 related to the preexistent glory of our Savior And we know that that Jesus, God the Son, existed before the virgin birth, existed before His incarnation. Uh, I think it's a valid question that Doug was asking related to the title, The Word. Is that a title that the Son of God and deity is entitled to? Or is that a title that's really more appropriate to the hypostatic union to the God-man that is The Word and uh, and that's a legitimate question. I think you got to explore it and consider both sides of that uh, of that question, because clearly he was in the beginning with God, and it says the Word was God, that he he uh, didn't stop being God, that his undiminished deity even after he receives the human nature. The same was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And we 're fine, I think, there, with respect to deity being preexistent and these things. But then we get to the the life and the light that's that 's indicated here in verse four: in him was life, and the life was the light of man, and so there's a quality to this life that God the Son possesses that this, that the God man possesses in hypostatic union this life that he possesses, and where did he get it? Is it eternal part of his deity or is it begotten part of his humanity? And is this life something that then we want to we want to tie in, in in different applications there when we have a biblical anthropology and how are we constituted, body, soul, and, and human spirit. So in him was life and the life was the light of man. Uh, I think you get the answers to this over in John chapter 5 just four chapters later he revisits this topic of life and light. It says in John 5, 21, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes, that there is a co-working between the Father and the Son in the provision of life. And this is uh, described here. Not even the Father judges anyone, but has given all judgment to the Son. Well, why does He do that? We'll see... Um, Get down to verse 24, "...truly, truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me." So faith in responding to the gospel, when you believe in Christ for eternal life, you are at the same time you are doing that, you are believing in, uh, or you're, I'm sorry, believing in the Son, but you are also believing him who sent me. That you are trusting the faithfulness of the, of the Father the Father who sent the Son to be our salvation provision, and the Father who has promised that He who has the Son has life. So uh, believing Him who sent me has eternal life does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. Verse 25 says, "...Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear Will live, and the basis for the resurrection is grounded in the uh, the son coming and providing as he does so verse twenty six now here's the key. We asked that back in chapter one. well, where did he get this life? Is this life he always had as in deity, as God the son, or is this a different kind of life that's different than the essence and attributes of deity that Father, Son, and holy Spirit all have coequally and coeternally? But notice verse 26, just as the father has life in himself even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself. And so this life that we're learning about, that the gospel of John reveals which is the light of men this life that we're learning about is not an attribute of deity or else the son would have had it for all eternity and so forth. This is a life that comes from the father and is vested in the son. This is the kind of life that we understand when we talk about today I have begotten thee. And it's because we have a begetter and a begotten, and the begotten receives this life from the, 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 the begetter. And so he, uh, the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. This is the, what the Father generated as He begat. And the Son received it in being begotten. It's not deity. It's humanity, it's His human spirit as we have studied before. And so He gave Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. And that title, He has that title not because He was born of a virgin, not because He had a human body from the Bethlehem manger. He has the title Son of Man because He is begotten by the Father of this life, this life which is the light of man. And so... um, Anyway, we have these things here together and uh, the promise is there. I, I hope, these are deep things and, and, and I hope that we can understand them, we can embrace them, we can chew on them and study them even more. The kind of life that He has as the Son of Man, as the Begotten One, as the God-Man. And uh, these principles I think are, are vital. Okay? Just a word of warning though, if you get on Facebook and you post something or you, you talk to your friends that go to different churches or have different pastors or whatever, they will likely not have been taught this before. All right? I don't know other pastors other than perhaps um, John Eichmann or Ralph Braun or, I mean, you've got to go to the old school, old timers. Uh, Drew Freeman, actually, uh, we, he and I were chatting about this the other day on GoToMeeting. And we've promised that we're going to have another chat before the week is over to uh, to explore this even more. And he's he's on board. He likes the idea, and he wants to incorporate some of this in his book. I'm hoping because he's got a marvelous text on angelology, and and I'm giving him some of this Proverbs eight material and some of this John one material, and uh, and it may be that uh, that he's going to bless me with his stuff. I'm going to bless him with my stuff, and we'll see what ends up happening with it. But the uh, I think the issue of the hypostatic union has to be fleshed out or you end up with an incomplete view of the angelic conflict. You end up with an incomplete view of why Satan fell. And I think uh, the the incomplete view of why Satan fell is focused on the wrong Adam. I think it's focused on Adam and Eve and the garden and and it fails to identify the hypostatic union of God the Son who was the God-man when He created the angels. And... um, Different applications there. So, anyway, stay tuned for that as we proceed from uh, this into other things in our Genesis series. All right, so now speaking of Jesus Christ, let's move on and look at verses 28, 29, and 30. And when we talk about grace and truth, the translation here is loyalty and truth. It says, Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by righteousness. And we have a tandem here of grace and truth. What in the New Testament would be uh, charis for grace and aletheia for truth. What we have uh, in the in the New Testament in terms of grace and truth is in the Old Testament utilizing the vocabulary of chesed and emeth. And, uh, and so loyalty, I'm okay with that. Uh, loyalty and truth. It's just chesed and emeth and the tandem that we have it here. And I'm going to take some time this hour to work our way through this and then we'll get to verses 29 to 30 and uh, talk about what it means to be beautiful. Beautiful when you're young, beautiful when you're old. And uh, we've got some good things there. Alright, so grace and truth. The Hebrew expressions are chesed and ameth And this is, uh, not only are they abstract qualities that we all want to walk in, we all want to grow in, but specifically they are the defining characteristics of Jesus Christ that they're characteristics of His reign in the future kingdom, they're characteristics of His reign for all eternity, and, uh, and we have the issues there. Let me just kind of take this from the bottom up and remind ourselves here of the contrast that's given in John 1, 14 and 17. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is how the Gospel of John places it in the New Testament. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. And you notice? Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And this is the characteristic. And we can embrace this and thrive in this. We can celebrate our Savior for this. And what He provides then on our behalf. Get down, uh, John testified about Him and cried out saying, this was He of whom I said... He who comes after me has a higher rank than I for he existed before me. The only way for someone later than you to to surpass you is with the fact, of course, is it was pre-existent. And he was pre-existent in his humanity. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ." All right, and so when you look at verse fourteen and verse seventeen, and you see this tandem of grace and truth, and you see the the uh, fulfillment of these things here, then I think you can go back to Psalms, you can go back to Proverbs, you can go back to everywhere in the Old Testament that Chesed and Ameth are linked together in the tandem that they are, and I think it gives you a whole new appreciation for that link, that parallel, that tandem of, of Chesed and Ameth in. Uh, in the Old Testament theology. And uh, so we have the examples here. Now, chesed uh, before I give you the vocabulary, we the first time we did this study, this morning will be a bit of a review, the first time we did this study we got here in Proverbs 19 because we were looking at the ideal man. What is desirable in a man? What is, uh, and, and you might remember if you were here, Proverbs 19, what is desirable in a man? What is the desirable quality traits? What makes the ideal Adam, the ideal man? Well, it's his chesed. And it is better to be a poor man than a liar. So you have chesed in the first half and you have truth, a concept. Now you don't have the vocabulary of there because you have the, instead you have the liar. It is better to be a poor man than a liar. But here are the concepts of chesed with a meth that are linked together here in the ideal man. And so that's what started us on that study to see, well how many times does the Bible put chesed and a meth together? Or lying, if if the lying is negated like you have it here in 1922. And uh, we had it several times. So the Hebrew chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D or C-H-E-C-E-D people transliterate that in different ways. Uh, 2617 is the strongest number and let me tell you, 245 uses in the Old Testament and and you ought to just get a list of those verses together and just read them over and over again and be very blessed. It's probably my favorite Hebrew word ever related to these things because it's um, it's, it's everything that we would associate in the New Testament with grace, with mercy, with love, with loyalty. It is a It is uh, a marvelous Hebrew expression that takes about three or four Greek words just to try to convey the totality of it. And a little strange in the fact that the Septuagint rarely uses chorus to render chesed. Uh, And typically it'll it'll use other things related to tender mercies or related to uh, uh, patience or loyalty or, or things like that. Then you have emeth. The noun for truth, E-M-E-T-H, Strong's number 571, and you've got 127 of those uses. And uh, so between the Chesed uses and the Emeth uses, uh, you've got a, a big chore in front of you to, to find all those and then, and then spend the time to look those up. Of course, Bible software speeds it up, makes it easier, and, uh, and uh, streamlines the process there. Then once you have this list and that list, you conflate the list together, you say, all right, now where do they intersect? Show me the passages that, that have them either in the same verse or within a verse or two in, uh, in, a, in a parallel context and, uh, and this is the result that you have here that you see starting with Proverbs 3.3 3 and uh, the Proverbs and Psalms that you see on this slide. So let's remind ourselves of the marriage of grace and truth. Let's remind ourselves of this marvelous uh, tandem that describes the ideal man, that describes the perfect man. What is desirable in a man? You know, uh, we talk about uh, voting or political elections or things and, and as beauty pageants are, are trying to get somebody that appeals to the people. And it's interesting because our Savior didn't have the physical appearance and beauty that we would be attracted to, but His righteousness, His reign of, uh, of grace and truth is exactly what, what this world needs. So, by the way, it's not on the ballot for this November, so if you want to vote for Jesus uh, you're not going to be able to do that this, uh, this November. Proverbs 3.3 3. You know when you, you talk about the beginning of wisdom and what it is that we're teaching our children, Proverbs 3, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. The benefits of grounding children in the doctrine and they can live their life according to the Word of God. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. This is chesed and Ameth, And it's not, you know, the word that we had translated as loyalty uh, earlier. Here it's translated as kindness. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So the more you're saturated by the Word of God, the more the Word of God transforms you so that you're transformed by the renewing of your mind instead of conformed to this age. That transformation is going to mold you into this, into this model of chesed and Ameth, of grace and truth. You're going to be more Christ-like the more the Word of God saturates your soul. Proverbs Proverbs 14.22 Will they not go astray who devise evil? But kindness and truth will be to those who devise good. And so which path do you want to be on? Which, uh, i try to see if there's a larger context I'm going to grab here. No, I'll just leave it with that. Proverbs 14, 22. Will they not go astray who devise evil? See this is far more than just you know, the benefits of, of, of having good character and having the Word of God shape your character, it goes beyond that, that once your character is shaped, your activity then is reflected in that. And so, devising evil, that's not what people do when they are transformed into the chesed and ameth um, nature, the chesed and neth character that the Word of God shapes us to be. Kindness and truth devise good. Sixteen six by loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil and Here's a, a great illustration of what I was saying a moment ago. You can read these passages and just benefit from them. I think any Old Testament saint clearly could. Uh, you can read these passages and you can uh, you can appreciate kindness or, or uh, loving kindness. That's the Chesed again. Um, you can appreciate loving kindness and truth as abstract character traits, but you know, reread that verse with uh, with with our hindsight. Reread that verse with our perspective and ask yourself: Do you understand how Christological this is? Do you understand what a, a prophecy this is of the of the coming Savior. By Jesus Christ, iniquity is atoned for. How about reading that? <laughs> You know, who is it that's going to come and, and make atonement for iniquity? Who? I mean they've been waiting for 5,000 years for the coming of the, of the Messiah. Messiah is coming, Messiah will crush the serpent's head, Messiah is going to solve the sin issue. And here we have a statement that says by chesed and amath iniquity is atoned for. Knowing what we know now we can read this verse and see a a messianic prophecy, a Christological promise of the coming kinsman redeemer. That Jesus Christ is the one who will come. He who knows no sin will be made sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So by Jesus Christ, by loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by by the fear of the Lord one keeps away from evil. So you know when you start to uh, hunt through and find some Old Testament soteriological passages uh, things like this start to kind of come alive. And, and, and like I say, we have our hindsight looking back to see such things. Do you think the Holy Spirit was capable to spotlight these things in the Old Testament? Do you think an Old Testament saint might have seen these things if they were saved and spiritually alive and looking for, you know, what should we be looking for in a coming uh, kinsman redeemer? And God says, well, the perfect man is the one that's the man of grace and truth. And by grace and truth, or chesed and math, iniquity is atoned for. You know, these things could be put together into, a, into an Old Testament Christological gospel anticipation. All right, we've already seen Proverbs 19.22 centering on the perfect man. Our verse today is this one here in Proverbs 20.28, 20, the um, loyalty and truth preserve the king, that this is characteristic of His reign in, uh, in righteousness. How about Psalm 2510? Now we get to the Psalms. Which is a little bit backwards. I mean the Psalms are written before the Proverbs, most of the Psalms are Davidic, the generation prior to most of the Proverbs which are Solomonic. But that's alright. It's a proverb series after all, I don't mind front-loading the Proverbs references and then backing up to catch the Psalms references all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. You know if you think about that, to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies, doesn't that echo well with to those who love God and are called according to His purpose? I mean it doesn't it not seem like it's a description of a believer that's a disciple that's walking in the light and uh, the idea of all things working together for good? Anyway, um, So we talk about all the paths of the Lord being loving kindness and truth. Who doesn't want to run with endurance the race that's set before you when the race that He set before you those paths are loving kindness and truth. Chesed and Ameth, Jesus Christ. Are we walking with Jesus or not? Fixing our eyes on Jesus to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. I like that. How about, um, there's more in Psalm 25 too but let's And this is the thing. When I have my Bible window so small, I don't see the larger context of verses that we might want to. I know there's more in Psalm 25. So let's just do that. <laughs> okay. I'll put the slide back in a minute. I know people complain when they can't see the slide. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. This is a Davidic psalm here in Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh, my God. "...in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me." So you have a believer, a believer in conflict, a believer with enemies, and he's walking by faith, the faith rests life and uh, leaving himself in the hands of God. "...indeed none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause." That's the crowd that's going to be ashamed. "...make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths." So the Christian way of life is one, not of ignorance, but one of learned, studied obedience as you ask God to to lead you. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. So the God who saved you with phase one salvation is the God who keeps on saving you and leading you in the phase two application of salvation through experience. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindnesses. So again we have that, the linking of truth with, with, with uh, grace. We have emeth with chesed, not always in the same verse but within a verse of each other in the, in the parallel context such as we see it here. Lead me in your truth in verse 5 and then in verse 6 uh, your compassion and your loving kindnesses. That's where you have your chesed. Your emeth in verse 5 and your chesed in verse 6. So they have been from of old, from of eternity. Do not, uh, do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your loving kindness. Remember me for your goodness sake O God. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He is pleased to not just save us but to teach us. See, it pleases God that all men are saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. So the vocabulary keeps repeating over and over and over again and here they finally hit together in the same verse, the chesed and the emeth. To those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. (laughs) There's so much more here. You, You see a believer and he knows. I mean he's a man after God's own heart, not because he's sinless, not because he's perfect. He's the chief of all sinners until Paul comes along and takes that title from him. Um, But he's the man after God's own heart. Because with all the sin and all the shortcomings and all the failures, he knew how to confess and how to throw himself on the mercy of God and, uh, and the things there. All right. well let's get back. So that's Psalm 25. How about Psalm 40? Verses 10 and 11. Psalm 40 is another Davidic psalm very messianic in, uh, in these things. How much of Psalm 40 do we know? Because we know from a New Testament context. I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined to me and heard my cry. Slightly larger there. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear will trust in the Lord. So his suffering, his conflict is going to encourage others to also walk by faith. And they see the the hardship, the hard testing, and they see that God's faithful through it all. And that's an an indicator that that they can trust in the Lord as well. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. I would declare, if I would declare and speak them, they would be too numerous to count. I mean, how do you praise how faithful God is? He's infinite. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Jesus quotes this. This is David saying this on his own behalf, but he's also prophetically speaking of Jesus. And Jesus cites this. Shows up in Hebrews. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. So there's that combination of loving kindness and truth. And Jesus is looking forward to doing this. Jesus, in fact, when you read Psalm 22 and you connect it here, you're going to see that He's hanging on the cross, He's preparing to die but He knows when this sacrifice is complete that He's going to ascend to Heaven and proclaim God's faithfulness to the great congregation. As it says here. You, O Lord, will not withhold Your compassion from Me. Your loving kindness and Your truth will continually preserve Me. And Jesus clings to this even while He's on the cross. He testifies to this. And for a thousand years in the millennium He's going to testify to this. And even beyond that, for the thousand generations on the new earth it will be a reign of Chesed and Ameth of grace and truth. How about uh, nope, Psalm 57 3. Another Davidic psalm. A miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Until destruction passes by, I will cry to God Most High, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. Chesed and Ameth. Psalm 61 7. In Psalm 61, yeah there's more here too, goodness. Taking refuge under the shelter of your wings, for you have heard my vows, O God, you have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years will be as many generations, he will abide before God forever. Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. So, is David, when David's anticipating a glorious reign of a glorious king, is he talking about himself, or is he prophetically looking forward to the greater son of David? That's what he's doing. These prophecies. I mean, he's speaking about himself. He's speaking in the first person, but ultimately, he's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about his his, uh, his the greater son of David that's on the way. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may pay my vows day by day. It's kind of fun in the, in the Millennial Kingdom when a resurrected David stands before his son, stands before his son whom he calls Lord, and uh, the glory is there. And so Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords will then assign David the role. David becomes the, the prince, the prince of the Millennial Kingdom. And there's David the king and David the prince. the uh, The resurrected King David historically serves as, as the, uh, the prior, or what do you call the, the number one prince, the crown prince the, the, uh, and I think all the kings. I think David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Josiah, all the good righteous kings. They're going to be resurrected for the millennial reign. I think the whole line of prior kings is going to serve in a prince capacity for Jesus Christ in the, in the millennial reign. Psalm 85 and verse 10. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. This is why we talk about the marriage of grace and truth. We talk about the, uh, this is like you may kiss the bride. In this case it's chesed and ameth. This is grace and truth. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. What a provision. I love the poetry of this. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Anyway, there's a lot of blessings here in psalm eighty five things to look forward to eighty six fifteen yeah see this is why I gotta bring the Bible down though Well if I bring it to the top, I get more space this way all right. Psalm 85, how much of this do I want to read? Another Davidic Psalm, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Make, the, make glad the soul of your servant. For you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. So you're into this kind of conflict and you lose your, your joy, you lose your gladness, you lose your shout, and uh, you have to, have to trust in Him for that ongoing salvation. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant and loving kindness to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, my pr- to my prayer. Give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I shall call upon you for you will answer me. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. You know, Satan would provide for you if you turned to him. But uh, David, of course, rejects all of that. He's, He's trusting in the Lord. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. They shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to You, O O Lord my God, with all my heart and will glorify Your name forever. For Your loving kindness toward me is great. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, arrogant men. So I think we've seen Chesed about four times already before we even get down this far in the psalm. O God, arrogant men have risen up against me and a band of violent men have sought my life. They have not set You before them. But You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant, in loving kindness and truth. Here's the chesed and the emeth. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. You know, if he wasn't (laughs) you know, that description of the Lord, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. How many times does the Old Testament talk about that? Because if it wasn't for that we'd all be doomed. You know, if God had my kind of patience we'd all be doomed. None of us would be saved. But he is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. So turn to me and be gracious to me. Grant your strength to your servant, Save your, the son of your handmaid. Marvelous things there. How about Psalm 89? Now this one is not Davidic. This one's got a ton of angelic uh, information in here. The Psalm 89 testimony here in, in heaven. The, uh, the Lord says I've made a covenant with my chosen, I've sworn to David my servant I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. I tell you I just want to grab this psalm and slap people with it when they try to defend uh, replacement theology. When they think that God's a liar, that He's going to make a lie to David. He has sworn to David that God who cannot lie has taken an oath to David. And heaven is witness to this. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. These are the, uh, the angels that we got to deal with in Genesis. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Not that liar, Halal ben Shachar who said, I will be like the Most High God. He said it, but it's a lie. He never has been, never will be. Who among the, the sons of the mighty sons of God. A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of His holy ones and awesome above all those who are around Him. O Lord God of hosts who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea when its waves rise, you still them. You yourselves crush Rahab like one who was slain. This is a, a poetic title for Satan and nothing to do with the Jericho harlot. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all it contains you have founded them. So there's the heavens and then there's the earth, okay? And a gap in the middle of verse 1. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. As if all of the universe and all of the galaxies and all the billions and billions of stars and planets and everything, as if that's not enough, all of that is yours, also the earth is yours pretty special. The the cosmos, the world and all it contains you have founded them. The north and the south you have created them Tabor and Hermon. Shout for joy at your name. You have a strong arm, your hand is mighty, your right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. And so the one that comes from the source of God, the one that comes to reveal the Father is the one that's full of grace and truth, is Jesus Christ. Mf and, I'm sorry, Chesed and Mf. Oh, there's so much more. You get into the full angelic conflict information, you've got to deal with Psalm 89. Psalm 138. Whoops. Psalm 138. Another Davidic psalm, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods, the Elohim plural, the created angelic being that are called Elohim. I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your chesed and your ameth, your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. Now often we, of course, talk about the written word, the printed word, the canon of Scripture, that God has magnified His word, and I accept that. That is a a, a valid acceptable understanding of this, but might there also be an additional consideration here related to the living word, related to His begotten Son, related to His begotten wisdom from Proverbs 8, or the Logos of, of John 1. Remember, he said he will not give he will not share his glory with another, but he does share his glory with his beloved Son. And so I give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word, that is, you have exalted and glorified your begotten Son according to all your name. And this is the love between the Father and the Son, if you look at it in this context as well. On the day I called, you answered me, you made me bold with the strength of my soul. Anyway, looking forward to Millennial Kingdom and uh, that comes through the faithfulness of this beloved son. Alright, well there we have it. Just a quick review on that. Grace and truth, we had a neat study with it back in Proverbs 19, wanted to highlight it again here today Since we are on the cusp of Genesis, let's look at verses 29 and 30. The glory of young men is their strength, and the honor of old men is their gray hair. All right, we have an A part and a B part, and we see progression, but we see beauty in both places. This is not a, well it is a contrast, but it's the poetry, I I like the and that links the two halves together. Uh, The poetry is showing two things that are not opposed to each other. They are a contrast, but they are a progression. Because every young man you point to is going to be an old man someday when, uh, in God's grace, if he lives long enough. All right, this is the process. And God's faithful at every stage of life. And we see these things playing out. The glory of young men is their strength and the honor of old men is their gray hair. And vocabulary is interesting on this um, because it's unusual. The terms I'm not, not familiar with or not greatly familiar with, not before this study anyway. Um, there's other terms that, that you see and you go, oh I know that word, I just didn't realize that's what it was because it's so unusual. And when you spot it you you struggle to make connections with other places where it shows up. I'll highlight that for you here also. But beauty turns to splendor. Now, we're going to maybe retranslate some of these things. First thing I'm going to do is I don't like the word glory and I don't like the word honor. <laughs> so, um, I'm okay with strength, I'm okay with gray hair, I'm fine with young men and old men. The the, the real puzzles here that you got to wrestle with is the fact that we've got two synonyms and 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 they're they're clearly they're related. And and we can actually interchange them. We can use beauty both times. We can use glory both times. We can use honor both times. They they do overlap. And we don't want to use the same thing twice because that would defeat the purpose of the poetry. The purpose of the poetry is to give us two related expressions that are not exactly synonymous but they're related well enough that we can see that they're obviously in parallel. And uh, I think the first one is better to use with a beauty than the second one. And uh, we're going to, I'll show you what Tifereth and Hadar are. But before we look at those, let's, uh, let's remind ourselves, Proverbs has not uh, made any secret of the fact that young people do grow old if, uh, if God uh, is patient enough with us and lets us grow old. Proverbs sixteen thirty one. a gray head is a crown of glory it is found in the way of righteousness. a gray head is a crown of glory. So in wisdom we want to learn to respect our elders, we want to learn to appreciate those that are uh, ahead of us, those of us in this, in this race, those of us that have been running longer than we have. Um, you know, their, their starting line was quite a bit before our starting line. And we assume that their finish line is closer than ours, but that's a, that's a dangerous assumption. Okay because none of us are promised today, and none of us are promised tomorrow. And don't assume that the older person uh, is going to be gone before we are. uh, Because God charts this course out and and we need to be living day by day. Nevertheless, when we see our elders, when we want to honor our father and mother, we want to honor the elders, and uh, Proverbs makes that clear. So it's a crown of glory. And that crown of glory is, I think the same Tifereth Yes, the same tithereth that we have in today's verse in, in 2029 where it's a glory of young men is their strength. So it's translated glory a couple of times. And I don't like it. I don't like it because uh, I, I like kavod. Kavod is the word for glory, right? Kavod, kavad. We've got, uh, we've got the normal words for glory that we see hundreds and hundreds of times. And so when we see a different word that's not kavod translated glory that bothers us, okay? Or bothers me. And I want to know why. Let's just, let's do something else with this. Let's not confuse a non cavode glory with cavode with glory. So right away I've got a prejudice to uh, translating anything that's not cavode with the idea of glory. That's just me, okay? And maybe I've got to overcome that, maybe someday I will, but not today, Okay? Today I'm going to use beauty instead of glory. So, um, because I think beauty, a a, a gray head is a crown of of beauty. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, why are you dyeing your gray hair? I like your gray hair. It's beautiful. Okay, keep your, keep your, the the beauty of what God provides. So cross off glory there and put beauty. How about seventeen six? grandchildren are the crown of old men and the glory of the sons is their fathers. Again it's Tifereth, it's the same adjective that we have in uh, in 2029. And again, glory, I'm not liking it, I'd rather have beauty. Grandchildren are the crown of old men and the glory of the sons is their fathers. The things they're going to brag about, not their strength, not their muscles, not their you know the we talk about in, in chapter 20, the, the, the beauty, the glory, the, the boastable thing of, of young men is their strength. Well, yeah, nice to be young, okay? And, uh, and, uh, and you bet, if I've got to lift something heavy in the house, I'm going to get my young man to help me with it, okay? Because it's nice to be young. And it's a, it's a beauty, it's a beautiful thing. And in fact, uh, if I can get two young men to lift it, then I'll just step aside and watch. Okay? Um, that's a beautiful thing. But growing old, do you lose your beauty when you grow old? It's just a different kind of beauty. And it's a beauty that becomes a splendor. And it's a different kind of beauty. I mean, you talk about, again, also there's inner beauty, outer beauty, and you know one gets wrinkles, one gets better. The, uh, the, the different kinds of beauty that the Bible describes. How about uh, Leviticus 19.32? You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. Harad. uh, harad, And that's where we're going to get to our second term. The honor of old men and their gray hair. And this is another expression. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. You shall revere your Lord. I am the Lord. And this is uh, you know our culture struggles with this. There's a lot of cultures around the world that their uh, their uh, uh, their culture tends to honor the, the elderly far better than ours does, and and sadly some of it too is is paganism and some some of its ancestor worship and they kind of have to, but and that breaks my heart. But if you can if you can glean a positive temporal life benefit out of it, you can have biblical reasons like here for honoring your elderly and uh, and blessing them. And uh, and so you see it there. Alright, I'm going to run out of time. When we come back next week I'm going to give you the tefereth and the hadar. The tefereth and the hadar. And I'll show you the color wheels and I'll show you where they overlap. Because the color wheels are interesting. You could use majesty for both of these. And there are verses that, that have majesty that use tefereth or that use hadar. You can use beauty on both of these, you can use glory on both of these, honor on both of these. Uh, neither of these is, is, uh, is uh, kavod, the normal one that we have for, for uh, honor or for glory. So yeah, we'll take some time with that. And then we'll talk about discipline. Stripes and wounds. Stripes that wound occur uh, scar, uh, scour away evil and strokes reach the innermost part. So the, the personal discipline that can be corporate, corporal discipline and the, and the things there. Anyway, we're that close. That close. Maybe one more class. And we'll finish chapter 20 we'll get on into chapter 21. The reason why, by the way and I'm not trying to hurry up the Holy Spirit or whatever, but I am watching the progress that we've been making and uh, kind of tracking how many, how many classes per chapter and all the different things. You're going to notice when we get to Proverbs 25 this huge division in the book. When Solomon died the book of Proverbs ended at chapter 24. Okay? That that he had written thousands of Proverbs but the canonized book of Proverbs ended at chapter 24. Not until Hezekiah that we read in Proverbs 25, these also are the Proverbs of Solomon which the men of Hezekiah king of Judah transcribed. And so there came a point later when God through the Holy Spirit inspired these men to add to the book of Proverbs additional Proverbs that Solomon had written when he was alive. And so these also are the Proverbs of Solomon. So we have some differences when we get to 25, 26, 27, and when we get to and then clearly when you get to 31 and the, and the virtuous woman and those things there. Anyway, the, the, the final six chapters, seven chapters of, of Proverbs is set apart, it is a different collection, it is different from chapters 10 through 24 that we've been dealing with all this time. And so um I kinda have prayed about it and asked God and thought, you know, it'd be kinda nice if if we can get to the end of twenty four before we take a year off and have a break and uh and and suspend the Proverbs series for the for the through the Bible year. Um I just don't know how likely that is that we're gonna do four chapters next year. All right. But we'll see. It's about Probably as likely as getting to Genesis 11 before we suspend that series and, uh, and take the year off. But be that as it may. I uh, appreciate your prayers. We're trying to chart this out. I'm convinced. I mean I'm thrilled as anything that 2022 is going to be our Through the Bible year. So, um, and even before that 2021 is going to be our daily Scripture reading year. You're going to have your, your book a year early and you're going to do the daily reading a year early. And then you're gonna keep doing the daily reading the, the the next year as well when we start doing the the uh the teaching on those chapters. So anyway, looking forward to that. All right, so we got that, we got that, and we reached the end of the chapter. So that's how close we are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, I thank you for truth, I thank you for the privilege and blessing that it is to study. I thank you for these timeless proverbs. They are eternally applicable and beneficial for us. I thank you for the glimpse today into the grace and truth of our Savior Jesus Christ and uh, just for all of your faithfulness to open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts. We thank you for, uh, for all your grace and faithfulness in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.